Welcome to Prometic Relayed Bear, the podcast. I'm your host, Ludovic Falipou, and today I have with me Henry, who's going to talk to us about healthcare and private equity. Henry, thank you so much for joining. Can you say a few words about you, what you do in life, uh, what your jobs consist of, how you interact with private equity? First of all, thank you very much for inviting me, Ludo. Absolutely. So my career has been in healthcare for nearly 30 years. I started as a lawyer advising healthcare companies. And then I spent 20 years as an investment banker focused on healthcare companies, basically doing M&A and capital raisings, equity and debt. And the last five years, I've run a healthcare business intelligence provider called Languisson that services the private equity community and the lending banks. And most recently, I've become the deputy chair of the European Healthcare Private Equity Association. And I also chair a healthcare and life sciences strategy consulting boutique called Mansfield Advisors. So I looked at the healthcare market as a lawyer, as a banker, as a business intelligence provider, and as a strategy consultant. So you're not coming only purely from a private equity angle, but then of late, you're doing private equity and healthcare. The, The reality is that throughout that career, private equity have paid an instrumental part because private equity effectively buy, build, and sell most of the assets in the independent sector. And if you look across any asset class, where it's hospitals, nursing homes, pharma services, spec pharma generics, private equity are extremely active in all those markets. But that sounds a bit strange. I mean, we, we do know that private equity is there for like young startups. Like we, we know that, you know, biotech, like all like pharma, like there we, we picture venture capital being big deal there. But more late stage private equity, like leverage buyouts and things like that, we usually don't think of private equity being involved much with that. Like we don't think of private equity for like veterinary or dentist or, or, or even care homes and ambulances, like all these things we think of is like social care. And, and we, we, we then think it's like probably the, the, the government that provides these services. But you're saying that private equity has always been pretty big in there and, and still is. If you look at private equity as an asset class, there are three sectors that tend to have single asset exposure from from LPs and and, and GPs. And those are energy, tech, and healthcare. So healthcare is already one of the three big sectors that people are investing in. And if you look at where they're investing, in the buyout funds, it tends to be in the bricks and mortar assets in healthcare services. And about 80% of the capital that's deployed in healthcare private equity is in healthcare services. And that's because you can get leverage on it and the equity checks are bigger. So that's where the money is put. It, and doesn't it feel a bit dangerous to have like uh, leverage on, on, on businesses that are like supposed to give care? Because like you, you then get all these, you know, financial commitment, you have all these leverage, you have to pay all these interest payments. And usually we feel that, well, first of all, that means if there is less money to invest in in services and quality, but also if there is a bad shock, then you don't have as much flexibility, financial flexibility to, to face that shock. And if it's care that we are talking about, it, it feels a bit uh, tricky. So, so I don't think there's, a, there's a, a, a straightforward answer to that. I think it's more nuanced. There are clearly examples where over-leveraged businesses have had very high-profile issues, including bankruptcy. But I think there are two things I'd say. First of all, even when those providers, and it's usually providers that go bankrupt, even when they've gone bankrupt, actually the care that they've delivered has continued. 
And we've had two really high profile examples of that in this country, in the UK, with Southern Cross, that went bankrupt and has now been reinvented at HC1, which is the largest- This was nursing homes, right, for everybody yeah, to- The largest yeah. care home provider in the UK. And then more recently with Four Seasons Healthcare, which is in the process of being dismembered and sold off in pieces. If you look at the care that was provided by those two businesses, it actually went down a bit, but it did not suffer nearly as much as you would expect for a business that has gone through a bankruptcy and a restructuring. Okay. So that, that's uh, uh, very, very interesting. Um, of course, there are some, some, some researchers in the, in, the, in the US that, that, that also shed some lights on these things and, and it may be country dependent and there may be indeed differences across GPs and, and, and by type of healthcare investments too. Um, would it be possible for you to walk us through like a case study that, that like an investment you worked on that would be quite typical of private equity healthcare and could illustrate a bit the sorts of added value that private equity can have in the healthcare sector? Sure. I mean, what, what I would say, um, I think you just need to let me share my screen, Ludovic. Ah, oh, that's because you're sharing. Yep. <laughs> um, what I would say, though, is that there's a big difference between Europe and the US when it comes to healthcare, and particularly the UK, actually, in the US. The UK is a much more regulated market. We have an organisation in the UK called the Care Quality Commission in England, and it's the Care Inspectorate in Scotland, which regulates all service providers across dental, care homes, hospitals, pharmacy, opticians. They're all regulated by the CQC. And because of that regulation, quality is a really key metric for private equity. If they're going to sell their asset for a good price, they need to prove that objectively their quality metrics in the CQC are good. And that is a completely different dynamic to some other markets. So yeah, just, that's something that. often people miss that. We had also evidence like this in, in the US with some research showing that like restaurants, they would get like very high score on hygiene ratings, you know, like you have in the US, these A grade, B grades, et cetera. And private equity would actually invest a lot in that because they need to sell this business. So this business needs to be graded A for hygiene in, in all of their restaurants. And so here you're saying, in fact, maybe perhaps paradoxically for many people, because private equity has a shorter horizon, like three to five years, and need to sell the business after that, they want to have scores, like quality scores from the CQC that are high, otherwise they will not manage to sell the business and therefore they, they will lose money. So to, in order to make money, you need to have good care, good ratings from the regulator. Absolutely, and, and there's been another big shift in the sector, which is that it's not always private equity who's the buyer. We've seen the entry of infrastructure funds, Infrastructure funds have a lower cost of capital, but they're much more focused on the downside risk. They don't need a big growth plan or a big buy and build, but what they do need is a solid business that doesn't have any surprises. So they are even more focused on those quality metrics. They want to buy a really high quality business with a good team. And that means that the private equity investors who tend to sell into those infra buyers are even more focused on having good quality. So practically, guys would do like a bit what we call the greenfield development. And then once it has become a brownfield asset, so pretty stable and, 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 and clean, then, then it can be sold to, to an infrastructure fund at, that has a lower cost of capital or a lower required rate of return and therefore a higher price. Exactly. So, so there's still plenty of opportunity for PE in, let's say, more aggressive M&A, build-outs, greenfields, et cetera, within a short time frame. But once you've got a larger, more mature asset, then infrastructure in some sectors are increasingly the buyers that win. 
And um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm, I would like, again, like, do you have a case study we could walk through? Sometimes it's easier with, with an actual case um, to see what, uh, what happened. So um, Mansfield Advisors is the healthcare and life sciences strategy consulting firm that I chair. And we, over a period of six years, um, nearly seven years now, have been working uh, in the veterinary market. And the veterinary market's a really good example of a highly fragmented market, which has um, professionals who aren't necessarily uh, focused on, on, let's say, business practices and building scale and back office infrastructure. And um, we started by advising sovereign capital partners who are a private equity firm, uh, finding um, an asset and doing the commercial due diligence to understand that asset. And that was a veterinary practice called Willows. And, and right there, sorry, like why don't they do it themselves? Like they're, they're supposed to be paid fees by their investors to, to do these things, right? Why do they hire someone external to do the job? So Sovereign actually got a really interesting model, which a few other funds have as well. Um, so TA Associates and Summit, where they have people who uh, effectively ring around the market, get to know it, build relationships, particularly with entrepreneurs, uh, and become very knowledgeable about that market. But these people are financial investors. They aren't veterinarians. So at the point where they've identified an asset that they want to buy, they would bring in a Mansfield Advisors. Mansfield Advisors employs two veterinarians. They're both Cambridge graduates. And they understand the technical aspects of running a veterinary clinic or a veterinary practice. They understand the market aspects of what you know, a farm animal or a first um, you know, or, or a companion animal practice might look like. So it's a case of bringing in the expertise at the right time. I see. Okay, so, so, then, so they brought you in and then what was the main value add channel? What, what... So we worked with them, first of all, to scope out the market, to find acquisition opportunities. And you can see in 2015, they acquired North Downs specialist referrals. And we did the commercial due diligence on that asset. The business was then rebranded Linnaeus. Uh, in 2016, there were two more acquisitions that we did commercial due diligence on. In 2017, the business had grown from the Willows to a 50 practice veterinary chain in the United Kingdom. Um, and we had worked with them not just on the acquisitions, but also on two corporate strategy projects as the private equity investors started to think through, you know, what is the next stage for this business? How do we grow it? What do we need to invest in? And so in just the, the like three, four years, how, how many practice, you went from how many practices to how many practices? I mean, effectively from one to 50. One to 50. Yeah. And so, and, and does that create then a bit of market concentration and power? Does it mean like there are some regions where, you know, the, all the vets would be like yours? So the, 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 the reason that, that they invested back in 2014 is because it's a highly fragmented market. And if you look around the market, there are some other very significant players. So there's a, a company called um, CDS, which is actually a listed company, which is the largest provider in the market. There are large corporates like Pets at Home that have veterinary businesses. Uh, there are other private equity platforms like Medivet. Pets at Home was a private equity thing, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah. Indeed, but it's still a competitor. <laughs> um, uh, Medivet's out there. Uh, and then uh, there's a, another big veterinary platform called Independent Vet Care, um, which is now owned by EQT. Okay, so it's still so, a pretty competitive market, but it's still like private equity firms holding like most of these things. 
Well, yeah, CVS is a listed company, as I said, yeah. but the other platforms are all owned by private equity because they see an opportunity to commercialize, professionalize, and build scale in fragmented markets. And so that's the main theme for all of them. It's, it's about making it bigger because it's a fragmented market. And so it's a buy and build strategy. And then also professionalizing these businesses because I guess the, in the classic case of practice is just a person who's a vet graduate has no clue about finance and running a business. And so there is quite some scope to do, to do better. That's absolutely right. But there are some really easy wins, such as procurement synergies. So, for example, veterinary practices buy a significant amount of drugs and food. And if you're purchasing that as part of a larger group, you can get material discounts on what you'd have to pay as a single practice. So yeah. that doesn't even affect the, you know, what, what the vet is doing on a day to day basis. But it delivers value by effectively being a better buyer and sharing some of that benefit with the customer. Yeah. Excellent. And so and another thing that is pretty classic in these buy and build transactions is that usually when you start uh, this uh, strategy, you, you do have in mind a bit who would be potential buyers. And so when you started in 2014, who did you think would be one of the buyers of such a business? So that's a really interesting dynamic. I think we all expected it would be bought by a bigger private equity fund, if I'm honest. But it was a very different outcome. Um, there were two platforms that, that were in the market at a similar time outside of the UK. One was called Anikura, which was based in, in Sweden and was strong in Germany and across Europe. And that was owned by Nordic Capital. And the other was called Evidencia, which was owned by EQT. And I, I think everybody was really wondering who was going to buy what. Out of nowhere, Mars appeared with a very, very aggressive offer for Linnaeus. And they are one of the two large manufacturers of pet food in the world. Nestle. Yeah, because I, I know only the Mars bars, but that, that's the same guys? Or? It's the same guys. They're one of the largest. I, I hope they don't make it with the same ingredients. I hope so too. Or it, maybe it tastes uh, a bit like that's it. good for the, for the pets. I don't know. <laughs> um, but um, they, they put a very strategic offer on the table. And, and to give you an idea of how strategic it was, Sovereign Capital returned more than their entire fund on this one investment that's quite amazing yeah and so and, and it was because it was such a strategic acquisition for mars and um the, when you said at the beginning though i was a bit surprised when you said in 2014 we thought a bigger private equity fund would buy it so it's true that sometimes you do this buy and build to get something that is extremely small you said you said you started with one practice which is as small as it gets um you get it to 50 practices um at this point, though, you can sell it to another private equity firm, but they would probably do as well a buy and build. But there's just so many vets you can buy in the UK, right? So, you know, it, it's probably why it was not like that easy maybe to sell to a bigger private equity fund. So there's a very similar story around Anikura, the other asset I mentioned. It started off with a private equity firm in Sweden called Fidelio with three practices. They grew that and then they sold it to Nordic Capital. Nordic Capital then sold Anikura to Mars as well. And that was Mars's play. They bought Anikura and Linnaeus at the same time, put the two together and had a pan-European network of veterinary practices that they could also sell pet food through. In parallel, Evidencia, which was owned by EQT, actually bought IVC in the UK, Independent Vet Care, and they bought it from Summit Partners. So again, it was another private equity play. And Summit Partners had bought it from August Private Equity, who had started out with a practice in Bath in the UK, built it, sold to Summit, built it, sold to EQT. 
And then EQT actually ended up selling a stake in IVC Evidencia to Nestle, which is the other big pet food manufacturer in the world. But here is like three leverage buyouts in a row. One, one, one wonders when you have so many buyouts in a row, like why isn't the first guy just doing all three in a sense, right? Like why would you sell a business, you know, halfway before it's like fully built up and, and just not continue because you're like leaving a lot of money on the table. So August Capital, I think you said it was August Equity, the first one, you know, they could have kept it for three rounds, so 10 years and be the one selling it to Nestle. They would have made, made a lot more money. So I think there are three reasons, actually. One is because of fund structure. So these funds have usually a 10-year life. And the way the IRRs and the money multiples work, you need to exit the asset within three to five years. That's your whole period. So it's, it's maths in a way. You know, that's how you generate the returns for your investors and you have a finite time to do it. The second is the size of the fund. So the capital required to continue a rollout up to the next level usually requires a bigger fund and more money. So you've just capped yourself out from a fund perspective. And the third thing, which is even more important, is that management teams usually you know, need changing out or re yeah, to cash out five well, to yeah. seven years. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's a very obvious reasons why this happens. Yeah, it's it, it just like the, the, the person who finds it a bit tough is, is, is the limited partners because they may, they may be a limited partners in all three funds. So they keep on holding this investment throughout and pay the transaction costs every four years. Yeah, that's true, but you you know you make sure that the funds are delivering the returns. You hope, and you know some of these buy and builds who've been through multiple hands have got you know, outstanding backstories of, of value creation at, at every period of that story. Excellent, um, thank you very much. Um, and do you want to say something about your um, association that you just created uh, before you go? Sure. So European Healthcare Private Equity Association, um, basically there's a, an equivalent in the US called the, the Healthcare Private Equity Association or HICP, where ECP, uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, don't ask. Um, but it's really because healthcare is this single asset allocation increasingly. And we've seen the emergence of private equity firms that just do healthcare. So in the US, there are lots of them. In Europe, we're starting to see three or four of them. So there's one, for example, called GHO Capital, which focuses more on pharma services. Uh, they've just raised a billion euro fund. Um, there is one called Archimed, based in Lyon, which has just raised a billion euro fund. Uh, there is one called G Squared, which started actually um, in Paris, and it was founded by one of the partners in Apex Paris, uh, now relocated to London. Uh, and they're pan-European and have raised a new fund. So there's plenty of private equity capital that only does healthcare. And then there are all the bigger funds who usually have a, a team that's dedicated to healthcare that is really fishing around the sector, often has people with a scientific background or a healthcare background as they look at different sectors. Um, so put the two together and there's just a lot of capital that is chasing the sector. And the main reason is that the returns are very, very strong. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Henry, for, for, for joining us. So this was Healthcare Laid Bare and don't forget to subscribe. Congratulations on your acquisition of one more piece of knowledge.